episode of The Final Call here on Radio Massasoit, episode number 34. As always, Andrew Fantuccio, Ben Mamaritas, and the man with the easiest name in the Zoom, Mr. Jason Snow. Guys, I got a little bit of a story for you. Ooh. The downfall of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The team has finally just, in retrospect from what they were two years ago, three years ago. Cue the sad music. Making it to the AFC Championship game. We're a mere eight minutes away from a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And now they are at the bottom of the league three years later. With so much hope, so much promise on that Jaguars team. The purge has been complete. As yesterday, the Jaguars cut Leonard Fournette. They traded Yannick Ngakwe. Basically, any members resemblance of that 2018 team is now gone. Where did the Jaguars go wrong, Ben? I'm going to start with uh, maybe an obvious one, maybe not, but Doug Marone, right? Okay. His, you know, his head coaching record for Jacksonville is 37 and 45. That's, that's below 500. And you look at the roster he had with Jack or that Saxonville team in, in particular, Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, I mean, Blake Bortles was, you know, whatever. But that defense was stacked. Like you said, Andrew, they were, they were up 10 in the fourth quarter of an AFC championship game against the New England Patriots of all teams. Like, that's a, you know, dynasty. So you look at the highs of this team, but then also you got to look at the lows, the lows of this team. I mean, before... That Saxonville team, they were garbage. And after that Saxonville team, they're garbage. They're right back where they belong. And I think Doug Marone, you know, needs to take some of the blame here. Because if you have such a talented roster, which Jacksonville definitely did, you got to produce more. I mean, that's to me, that falls on the, the coach and how he game plans for these games and just how he handles his personnel. Yeah, Andrew, you talked about how they were eight minutes away from a Super Bowl. A Super Bowl appearance. I'm going to make the argument they were a productive quarterback, a good head coach, and a good front office, and a winning culture away from getting to a Super Bowl. They, <laughs> they were not eight minutes away. They, they, they had a long way to go before they were ready to take that Super Bowl jump. Um, their, their hashtag on Twitter, like Ben mentioned um, prior to the show, is hashtag Duval, which is the, the county that they play on. I'm going to na- rename that Saxonville team to hashtag snoozed fest because it really <laughs> didn't amount to anything. It, I don't know why they, they just rubbed me the wrong way. I did not like that team. Um, Blake Bortles 2018 was their most successful season as a team. And that was the season he passed for his least amount of yards. His, his QBR is an average of 80 that like that's backup quarterback territory right there. And he has one right now with the Rams. They just did not have a high enough ceiling. And to say, like, oh, they collapsed so far, well, they didn't really stack up too, too tall either. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just not a fan of that team. So if we're going to pick a moment, a precise uh, point in time where it all started going downhill for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm going to say it was when they picked Leonard Fournette fourth overall in the 2017 draft. And okay. I'm not saying because Leonard Fournette's a bad player, because he's not, but roll with me here. In the years leading up to that draft, and the drafts before, the Jaguars picked Dante Fowler Jr. They picked Jalen Ramsey. They picked Yannick Ngakwe in the 2015 and 2016 drafts. The following season, 
Jacksonville had a, tw- a top 10 defense in the NFL. But we're only 3-13 and 13 because they have Blake Bortles at quarterback. In the 2017 draft, with the fourth overall pick, they took Leonard Fournette. And that right there was where it all started going downhill. But again, not because Leonard Fournette's a bad player or because they picked him. It's because of who they didn't pick. Everyone gets on the Chicago Bears for taking Mr. Trubisky. Why is no one getting – how come no one ever got on the Jaguars for not taking Pat Mahomes or Deshaun Watson fourth overall? And following a season where Blake Bortles had a quarterback rating, and I'm not kidding here, his QBR the year before was 42.8. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point. Nevertheless, the Jaguars still made the AFC Championship that season, led by a defense that was star-studded with Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe, Dante Fowler Jr. That was the core right there. All they needed was some direction. Mm-hmm. Instead, Doug Marone, their head coach, Tom Coughlin, and ownership drove those three players out of town. Marone fought with Jalen Ramsey on the sideline. Yannick Ngakwe got into an argument on Twitter with the owner's son this past offseason. And Dante Fowler Jr. filed a grievance against the team. Yep. They're all gone. And after that miraculous season three years ago, the Jaguars are right back to where they started three years later. I put it directly at that moment when they did not move on from Blake Bortles after his quarterback rating the season before was 42.8, 28th out of 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. You got Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson right there. And you take a running back, and mind you, a running back who really might be just kind of like middle of the pack in terms of his draft class. Because you know what other running backs were in that draft class? CMC. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, all Mm -hmm. picked after Leonard Fournette. And I don't think Leonard Fournette's a bad player, but he was not the best player on that board right there. He wasn't even the best player at his position when they drafted him. Yeah, I don't think he was even... He had, you know, he was good. He was great at LSU, and I think that's where a lot of it came from. But if I, if I may, let's just think of how you know Tom Coughlin, the front office, were thinking. I don't think this was the right move because I agree with you, Andrew. I think they should have taken a quarterback. They obviously should have, but I think they were thinking like, okay, our quarterback sucks. Let's run the ball, right? And let's take a running back. Let's t- but you know was Fournette the guy? Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. He wasn't, and I think all you need to know about Leonard Fournette is this: Doug Marone recently said, either yesterday or the day before, that um, I have the they, quote they right here get, if you want it. Read it. You want the, you want the quote? Yep, read it. Doug Marone said, and I quote: in response to cutting Fournette and trading Yannick Ngakwe, he said, "quote At the end of the day." I've got to field a team that gives us the best chance to win. He also said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that they tried to trade Leonard Fournette, but they couldn't get anything back from him. They were looking for a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, even a seventh-round pick. They couldn't get anything back for him, so they just cut him. Yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the quote I saw was, we couldn't get a, a sixth for him, we couldn't get a fifth for him. Like, they couldn't get anything for Leonard Fournette, which so, kind of makes you scratch your head. It's like, he's a top-five draft pick, but you can't get any of these these assets for him. It, to me, that was kind of, that was a little fishy to me. 
But just what 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 are you guys' response to the quote of him saying again? At the end of the day, I've got to feel the team that gives us the best chance to win. Because when I hear that, and then you move on from Fournette and Yannick Ngakwe, who are you are who were their two best players, and I hear Doug Marone say that, it just tells me like that's a, that's a boldface lie. It's a boldface lie. The Jaguars have no interest in, have absolutely zero interest in winning in twenty twenty. That's why Gardner Minshew is their quarterback right now. They're tanking for Trevor Lawrence, and they're the favorite to get the first raw pick because of how bad their team is right now. So for him to go out and say, we're going to try to feel the best team we can, we're going to try to win this year, that's a, that's a bold-faced lie from Doug Marone. And it's, it's a reporter's worst nightmare. We, you don't want a guy who's like knee-deep in trouble just giving you cliches. As a, like you don't want that, that question to prompt that sort of answer, right? This guy, he knows his back is against the wall. He knows that he has no chance of winning this season. He just doesn't know what else to say other than, well, he doesn't want to call him out, essentially. He doesn't want to be the bad guy in the situation. He doesn't want to be honest, essentially. He's being disingenuous. He knows he's in trouble. He knows Jacksonville is going to be the worst team in the NFL. But, you know, going back to that 2008 team and how it was constructed, I think that, you know, they wanted to be what the San Francisco 49ers were this year. I mean, Jimmy G is way better than Blake Bortles was, but to, they wanted to be heavy defense, draft a Bosa like they did, draft pass rushers, be heavy defense, and let the running game do the, do the offense for them and, you know, let Blake Bortles throw eight times in a playoff game. That was their ideal. Now, three years later, their kind of ideal is to be like Cincinnati next year, have a top quarterback who a lot of people believe in, but, you know, the help isn't really going to be there. So there, there's going to be promise there, but... Their high end for this season is maybe they come away with Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. That's kind of their best case scenario. Worst case scenario, they're they're scorched earth. But yeah, I agree with you there. And it's definitely right now. I think it's safe to say they're tanking for Trevor. And there's not really any other option if you're Jacksonville. I mean, you're in a division with the Colts. They just got Philip Rivers. I think they're going to be you know excellent this year. Um, you know, it's it's. It's a tough situation if you're a Jacksonville fan because, you know, they were the team, arguably the team of the AFC, you know, just a few years ago, and then they ran into New England. But it's amazing how far you can fall in just three years' time. And I think, you know, blame needs to be spread throughout this entire organization. I don't think there's, like, one guy or one, you know, person that, it needs to fall on. I think it's it's kind of a collective effort, but you know, it's apparently it's Minshew Mania time in Jacksonville, so we'll see how that goes. They'll be the worst team in the league this year. Yeah. So in terms of just what's next for Ngakwe, what's next for Fournette? Ngakwe just got traded to the Minnesota Vikings. He's their replacement for Everson Griffin. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? How does he fit in with the Vikings? Like it a lot. The Vikings know, yes, you know, Green Bay has a better quarterback than them, but their roster is way better than Green Bay's at the moment. And, and Green Bay is their number one target in that division. So if they can put more pressure on Aaron Rodgers, that's with, with Daniil Hunter uh, and Gawkway, as you mentioned, Anthony Barr, they've got good defensive personnel. And they know Green Bay doesn't have a lot of weapons right now. So I, I still don't know who I would pick in that division, but, you know, in the micro, it's it's good for Minnesota to you know stack up on pass rushers, stack up on defense because they know Aaron Rodgers is the one going to be you know um, rowing that ship. 
Yeah, I like that. I wasn't really thinking that of that they were kind of getting ready for Green Bay, but that's an interesting perspective because, yeah, they do need the pass rush. And, you know, it's Yannick Ngakwe is definitely going to fill that gap that Everson Griffin left. And you look at that defense, I mean, you know, that's that's a defense where every year we kind of look at it and we're like, wow, they're talented. Wow, they're really good, you know? And every year it's just kind of – I mean, they beat the Saints last year in the Superdome, in the playoffs, you know? Um, you know, I still think, you know, Green Bay obviously has a better quarterback, but, you know, this this could be Minnesota's division this year. It really could. And it's I don't think that's that far of a stretch. I mean, you, you just said, Jason, that Green Bay's roster is a little flimsy right now. Um, you know, we'll see how that looks around when the season starts, but I don't know. This is going to be a – it's a competitive division for sure, but Minnesota could take it. Is this Doug Marone's last season in Jacksonville? Yes, it is. Because he's knee-deep right now. He's in trouble. He knows it. They play, <laughs> for, for a team that prides themselves on the county they play on, they play in London three times a year. Like, come on now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they are in trouble. They, the NFL knows. If you're not interested in a quarterback, you, you stand no chance. And, and <laughs> they – they're the worst team in the NFL. Doug Marone's going to be the scapegoat. I have no question in my mind this is going to be his last uh, season in Jacksonville. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's, you know, the past few years, the only positive thing we had to say about Doug Marone was that Saxonville team. And, you know, that was just because they were stacked at defense and they were completely deep all the way through. And, you know, without that, I mean, Doug Marone – He's yelling at teammates, getting into arguments with front office. You know, it's it's a mess all around. I mean, this guy, I think his the writing's on the wall with this guy, and you know, it's only a matter of time before he's he's out of there. So I think, yeah, this could be his last year. You're absolutely right. I'm not even sure he makes it through this entire season, to be quite honest. That's true. Jacksonville yeah. needs to wipe the slate clean, start fresh. Firing Doug Marone is the first step in that process. So coming up. Uh, on this edition of the final call, we will have a special guest in the final segment when we talk about the NBA playoffs. But first, coming up next, we'll get in the MLB trade deadline next here on the final call. And we're back here on the final call on Radio Massasoit. This episode of the final call is brought to you by New England Sports United, written by the one and only Jason Snow, written for New England. Uh, this is this segment, of course, is about baseball and Major League Baseball trade deadline, which means it's uh, Ben's annual break for the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Ben. That's Jason right. Here, Jason and I are here to carry it. <laughs> hey, you, uh, Jason, you, you carry the ice segment. You carry the hockey segment. I got this one for you. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> cool, cool. I'll take it. So, Jason, yesterday was Major League Baseball trade deadline. Mm-hmm. What would you say was the most impactful trade from yesterday or leading up, you know, in this past you know, week or so in baseball leading up to the de- uh, yesterday's deadline? Yeah, there, there were a lot of subtle moves, I thought, that really maybe not moved the needle, but helped a lot of teams. Um, I, I know the Padres really made a lot of noise, this, uh, especially yesterday, um, but I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. I, I, I know they're slotted in at third, and, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, the Yankees or Rays are tied up. Um, first and second in that division. We'll see how that turns out. But to really solidify that uh, rotation and get a guy like Robbie Ray, a left-hander, to get a guy like Ross Stripling, not the most like headliner news, 
not the not the most you know top of the end guys, but to get two quality guys and not necessarily have to give up a lot, plus Jonathan VR as well. I mean, that's a pretty good turnout. Yeah, blue. I, I liked a lot of the moves that the Blue Jays uh, made, and I'm I'll, I'll get into them a little bit later. But I think for me, the most impactful trade from uh, this past deadline was uh, the trade between the Padres and the Indians for Mike Clevenger. Yeah. Uh, but not so much for the Padres, but for what Cleveland got in return. Six different players, three of them already in the major leagues, and all of those are under the age of 30, plus three prospects. Totally agree. That type of return is usually reserved for, you know, like star elite level players. And I don't think Mike Clevenger is that level of player. He's got the potential to be. But he's not the best player on his team. He's not even the best pitcher on his team. I think that goes to Shane Bieber, who is my early pick for the American League Cy Young Award this year. I'm locking that one in right now. But the Indians are a team that needs youth. Uh, their championship window is kind of closing on them. They're, they got to maintain pace with the, uh, with the Twins and the White Sox in their division. And I think this, this trade sort of helps them reload. And I think what's most interesting about this trade, and you got to read between the lines a little bit, the prospects they acquired, they acquired two shortstops. And if you read between the lines a little bit there, think about it. Francisco Lindor's contract is up after next season. They almost traded him last year. Yeah. He's going to be the premier free agent in the market. And it's a very similar situation between Lindor and the Indians to what the Red Sox just had with Mookie Betts. Mm. To me, this sort of looks like the Indians are kind of preparing for Lindor to walk or maybe even trade him this off season. Yeah. I, I think that's a, you know, they got to a world series about what, three, four years ago. I thought that team was, was pretty loaded as well. Although they lost to the Cubs, but like you said, what an unbelievable return. I, it could be controversial to say the Indians got more for Clevenger than the Red Sox got for bets. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. In terms of quantity. And like you said, those major league guys, all under 30. I mean, it's an impactful trade for them, and they didn't end up dealing Francisco Lindor last, uh, what was it, last offseason. They were rumored to you know, potentially move him to the Yankees or a big-name team like that. For the Indians, I like it a lot that they retool their catcher position. I, I just liked it a lot. Ben, any thoughts? Francisco Lindor is a star. That's what I think. And I think <laughs> if you're going to – if you're gonna Trade a guy like that, like you're saying that he's on the – that'd be the same thing as Mookie. Jason, they did get to a World Series. And that Indians team was really good. I actually watched that World Series because I was – I wanted to see the Cubs break the curse, the Billy Goat curse, right? But Cleveland blew a 3-1 lead, LOL. And I'm kind of against the idea of trading away stars because I think if you have a star like that, like you kind of got to hold on to him. But yeah, that's what I think. I know you have a lot of questions teed up, Andrew, but I just want to get into one, a team that made a lot of moves that made me scratch my head. And that, that is the Arizona Diamondbacks. I know maybe it wasn't necessarily the trades that made me scratch my head, but it was like the, the philosophy of the team this entire season, including last off season. Like, they signed Madison Bumgarner to a big deal and he's getting up there and, you know, you could say, oh, they're trying to stitch a potential playoff team together. And then, you know, six months in, they go and trade Starling Marte. They give up their closer, Archie, Archie Bradley to the Reds, which is a move I really like, by the way. 
they, they give up these kind of quality players. And I know they're, they're deep in the standings and they don't really, you know, stand a chance with the Dodgers or Padres at this moment. But like the philosophy to like get a veteran pitcher and pay him a lot of money for what was it a three four year deal and then kind of shed the the winning parts six months later it just it was just odd to me. So I, I think it's interesting to know that Mass and Bumgarner has been on the injured list for the last three weeks. Yeah. But there, but you look at the the, the standings in the NL West. You get the Dodgers right at the top, and they're not going anywhere. Padres just loaded up. The Rockies still have Arenado, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman. The Giants are met. I think the Diamondbacks sort of look at it and is like, all right, do we have the roster right now to compete with those three teams at the top? LA, San Diego, Colorado. And they don't. Especially with Madison Bumgarner on going on the injured list. Yeah, it's a head scratching move right now, but this is sort of like a trade. It's, this off, this was a lost season for the Diamondbacks. They're not going to make it into the playoffs. I think here you have to say like Cut our losses. Let's get some returns for whatever expiring contracts we have left and move on from there. But in the NL West, like you said, the Padres have made a ton of moves, a ton of them. I think six different trades, acquiring a bunch of major league-ready uh, players. How much closer to the, Dodgers, to the Dodgers are the Padres now after the trades they've made? They won't win the division, but they can sneak in as a wild-card team. And I... For a team that was kind of like the uh, the dumpster fire of the of MLB a couple of years ago, and they just didn't really have a lot before Manny Machado, they've come a long way. They really have, and I, I like uh, I like the Machado move. Obviously, uh, Tatis, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's a he's a star. But to to you know to add Mike Clevenger to a pitching staff that already had Chris Paddock, who you know was a really good pitcher. Um, I, I like it a lot. I don't know. I don't think that they'll, um, they'll end up closer in the standings. I mean, they're what four and a half games back already right now. So I, I don't think they'll make up that ground, but as an interesting wild card team, I wouldn't want to face. I mean, wild card. I mean, with, with the expanded playoffs this year, they're already a lock for the playoffs in the national league. Yeah. I, I think the Padres, they've definitely shrunk the gap. They're a lot closer than they were, but I don't think the Padres have matched the Dodgers quite yet. LA is still absolutely loaded. Uh, they have a ton of playoff experience, which is something that's missing for the most part in San Diego right now. But the Padres are young. They're incredibly talented. They'll make some noise in the postseason this year, but only a rumbling. Be prepared for them to make like to bring the thunder in 2021, though, because that's what I think these trades are for. Not so much to win a World Series in 2020, but to be a World Series favorite in 2021. And, and Mitch Moreland, too, is kind of a guy I've slept, we've slept on uh, so far in the segment in terms of the Padres. He, he gave up like a lot of you know, interesting, much-needed clutch at-bats for the Red Sox during his time here. Won a World Series two years ago, and now he's kind of a precious uh, utility guy for the Padres. No, I think that's a great move for the Padres, bringing in Moreland, especially when you consider his experience. Uh, World Series playoff he's a great he's a great clubhouse guy uh, right. a, a lot of people here in here in boston uh moreland was he had clutch at bats was a team favorite he was a jimmy fund captain if, if for, the, for those of you listening that don't know what the jimmy fund is the jimmy fund is, is an organization that the red sox partnered with to help uh treat childhood cancer and uh, mitch moreland was very involved with that during his time with the Red Sox. So a great clubhouse guy will bring a really good leadership and great experience into that Padres uh, clubhouse. 
Jason, was there any move that wasn't made that surprised you? Was there was there a player that you thought that was going to be dealt, and that you're just like, huh? That, that his team held on to him. Any any moves like that for you? Because there was a couple for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to talk about the Red Sox real quick uh, and plug the story I wrote this morning, anysportsunited.com. Uh, great site. Um, I hear it's amazing. Uh, anyway. Great journalism. Um, <laughs> so uh, the Red Sox, they made subtle moves. They made like four or five trades in the past couple of days. Um, Mitch Moreland was one of them, obviously. But they didn't get rid of any of their, their top-line guys. I was expecting, you know, Kyle Bloom to come in here in his first season on the job and be like, we're going to gut this payroll, and whatever it takes, we're going to do it. Um, by not trading Xander Bogarts, he's tied in until 2026. That's a long commitment for a guy who didn't sign Xander to that contract. So I like that they didn't move anyone, but it was surprising to me that nothing ever happened um, with, you know, J.D. Martinez, who could – you know, provide a lot of good at-bats for NL teams nowadays with the, with the DH implemented in 2020. Um, Nathan Volody stayed put um, despite his, long, his large contract. He was, you know, rumored to go to Texas. Um, so and Vasquez was actually, you know, rumored to be on the move as well, but nothing ended up happening, which I thought was, you know, kind of surprising. The moves the Red Sox made I liked. I, uh, I don't have an issue with really any of them. Um, and I, I like that they held on to Bogarts. I like that they held on to Devers. Those are the two guys I think the Red Sox should be building around, quite frankly. Yep. Um, and a, as for J.D. Martinez, I think it would be really hard to move him with the size of his contract and the uncertainty of next season. Because really, even with the designated hitter in the National League this year, J.D. Martinez is still signed for three more years. Right? Yep. So you, So we don't know what's going on next year. And, you know, in terms of will the DH be in the National League, but also will there be fans? I think clubs are really reserved in terms of training for guys on large contracts because they don't know what their payroll, what their income is going to be like next year. So I think they're so, they're, everyone was a little hesitant in that regard. As for a move that really surprised me that wasn't made, I'm surprised the Rangers weren't more active. Uh, they have Lance Lynn. And many experts thought he was the best starting pitcher on the market, and they held on to him. They did trade Mike Miner to the Athletics, but his value was significantly lower this year than it was last year when they should have traded him. Miner had a career season in 2019 and had one more year left on his contract, but the Rangers opted not to trade him at the time at the height of his value. And by not trading Lance Lynn now, it kind of looks like the Rangers haven't learned from that mistake, especially when they're – there's no chance the Rangers make the playoffs. I'm surprised yes. they were more active. And, and Gallo was supposed to be on the move too. And he, he's, he's kind of like a guy the, the Yankees would love. Strikes out kind of a lot, but he, he's a pop guy. Ugh. I mean, that, that, if you're looking for a true feast or famine type hitter that would thrive in New York with that short porch, <laughs> it's Joey Gallo. Exactly. And, and, and if we're going to talk about the Yankees. I mean, teams like the Yankees, the Dodgers – you know, teams that you would really expect to be, you know, big buyers. Those two teams were quiet, especially the Yankees. Any, any thoughts on that, Jason? They've had a lot of injury. Like last year, especially they had like the entire roster going the uh, IL at some point, but they know like going into the season, they know this team is stacked and and it's only a matter of time that the stars align for them. Uh, I was a little surprised to see, you know, their, per, their performance early in this season. It's no surprise Tampa Bay is good, but I was expecting you know the Yankees to run away with this division. They, they stand second, but I, 
like you said, I, I, I struggle with the fact that they felt the need to add a piece because I don't think they do. They, that roster up and down is re- really good. Yeah, like, I, like you said, the Yankees are uh, they're loaded when they're healthy. They, they've struggled with injuries. But at the same time, you look at the Tampa Bay Rays at the top of the AL East, they've lost almost their entire pitching staff yeah. to injury. So, I don't know, maybe the Yankees could, could have uh, benefited from, some, from something. Uh, uh, another bullpen piece, another starter, because Garrett Cole's having his issues last night. Uh, right now, he got lit up last night. Yeah, he did. By Tampa Bay. So, maybe the Yankees can make some moves. And, again, the Dodgers, I think there's – let's stay put. We've invested a ton of this into this roster. We got Mookie Betts. I, I, I think the Dodgers are saying, we have what we need. They, the, I think the Dodgers just – I think the Dodgers feel on top of the world right now. Ben, how you doing in there? Just want to check on you, make sure you're, you're not falling asleep yet. Doing great. <laughs> I'm just listening. I'm learning. I love it. He's learning. <laughs> hey, Ben, right. uh, what, what do you know about launch angle and exit velocity? Uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, what's, what's, what's a war stat, <laughs> Ben? What's, what's war? What's FIP? War is when um, two countries go at it, you know, like in 1945 – <laughs> and um, Walter and the great sports mind that is Ben Mamaritas. <laughs> I I have full of I have full of sports mumbo jumbo in this in this head. Hey, uh, NBA up next. We're we're pumped for that, Ben. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, I got yeah, definitely. <laughs> He's holding on for that, and our sp- a special guest that'll be joining us during that segment. Uh, last last uh, thing I want to get to here before we uh, wrap up the segment. Uh, in terms of. Uh, what what's a deal for you, Jason, that you think people are kind of overlooking right now that could be a major difference for a team going forward? That's kind of under the radar, not a huge, you know, impactful trade, but could really make a difference. Uh, I already went over this, Moreland to, to San Diego. It was a subtle move, but I think it could pay off big time. For me, and this is where I'm going to get back into the Toronto Blue Jays, everyone's saying you're talking about the Padres. The Padres are the talk of baseball right now. But the Toronto Blue Jays are getting – are, I don't. They're not getting enough credit for the moves they made. They added Jonathan VR from the Marlins. Uh, they got three starting pitchers: Taiwan Walker from Seattle, Ross Stripling from the Dodgers, and Robbie Ray from the Diamondbacks. Uh, and uh, especially the Robbie Ray trade. Robbie Ray is, is a pitcher who has elite stuff: great fastball, great slider mix. He's just had issues with walks. That's been his whole issue: like, averaging a walk an inning in his career. He's yeah. got. Uh, 31 walks and 31 innings pitched this year. That's really bad. Really yeah, that's bad. Alarming. But if he can get it right, he's a front of the rotation type of starter. And you know, for Toronto right now, a fringe playoff team, but they have loads of young talent. And I think the trades they make complements that youth really well, really similar to what the Padres did. Uh, I think both the Padres and the Blue Jays made moves for their short-term futures. And I'm going to make a bold prediction right now. We're gonna go. We're gonna get to see a San Diego Toronto World Series in the next five years. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> even even, even I know that's a hot take. Yeah, did I do that for you, Jason. That that that's a hot take to say the least. F- five years in the next five seasons with the with the t- San Diego Bobish. How Toronto. old am I gonna be in five years? I don't even know. Toronto's got Bobachet, Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, Boba Fett. 
Bo Bouchette. Okay, got it. Bo Bouchette, <laughs> Bo Bouchette Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio. They add uh, this offseason, they just added Hunjin Ryu. They added Taiwan Walker. They just added Robbie Ray. It's a loaded roster, right? And then on the, on the Padres side, you got Tatis, Machado, Hosmer, Paddock, Clevenger. Rosenthal. Oh, hold on. Trevor let, let me, Rosenthal. Let, let me uh, clarify. Are you gonna? Are you saying that like they're gonna like face off in the World Series together in five years, or they're like each one of them is gonna make a World Series in five years? They, I I'm ex- I say both. I think they'll both make uh, at least make a World Series. I'm not saying win, but bold prediction, really bold. We will see a Toronto Blue Jays versus San Diego Padres World Series in the next five seasons. That hot take by Andrew Fantucci was brought to you by. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they have star trajectory i just don't that's a high ceiling man that that's a i i'm not necessarily doubting you and it's not it's not the worst take in the world but that that's just a long stride for two teams that haven't really made it to the playoffs um recently but they just loaded up for playoffs they just loaded up to make runs they're filled with young talent i mean th- these are like what the astros and the cubs were uh, in 2014, like right on the verge, right to make a run with star talent. That's what the Padres and Blue Jays are right now. And I love it because these are two small market teams that haven't experienced any real success in the last 20 years. I'd love to see it. I'm I, excited. I, I would love to see that. With, with the talent those two teams have, I think we'll definitely see Toronto versus San Diego in a World Series. I hope it happens. Ben, how'd you do? How are you feeling? Great. All I have to say is Yankees suck. Let's let's <laughs> that's all I have to say. All right, Ben, we'll put you, we'll, we'll we'll take you out of your misery right now. Coming up next here on the final call, we'll get into more of the NBA playoffs with a very very special guest making her return on the final call next. We're back here on the final call on Radio Massasoit with a very, very special guest. She makes her her return to the final call, formerly <laughs> of the Massasoit women's basketball team. I, I hate having to say unfortunately, uh, uh, <laughs> formerly, but now of Adelphi University, the one and only Ty Hawkins has made a return to the final <laughs> call. Ty, how you doing? Welcome back. Thanks, guys, for having me back. I miss you guys. I miss the school. Yeah, we miss you too. Yeah, we miss you, Ty. <laughs> For sure. So, Ty, I'm assuming you, like all of us, you've been uh, into the NBA playoffs this year. Uh, yep. what, 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 what's been your take on it? The whole return of the bubble, uh, how teams have looked. What do, you guys, what, what do you think of the NBA playoffs so far? I just want to say that my Mavs, my Mavs, <laughs> my Mavericks are going to win a championship within the next 10 years. Luka Doncic is going to carry the Mavs to win a chip. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. For sure. Hey, that's a he's, safe uh, he's a really good player. <laughs> Very solid pick there, Ty. What do you, you know? The Mavericks they they got eliminated by the Clippers this round. They put up one hell of a fight though. Mm-hmm. What additions do they need to make this offseason to help build around Luka Doncic a little bit? Uh, I feel like they need to. I don't know. I feel like KP needs to be more consistent. Obviously, you know he just came back from an injury, but he played really good in the bubble. He needs to be, like, more consistent. And they need another, like, playmaker to get the ball, like, out of Lucas' hands. He has the ball way too much sometimes. So that's definitely what, like, they need to do. But besides that, they got great role players, Steph Curry, um, Tim Hardaway, Trey Burke played really well. 
So yep. their future looks pretty. Their future looks pretty bright. And as a Luca fan, you can't be too happy with uh, Marcus Morris right now, are you? You, you <laughs> gotta be pretty unhappy with him. Listen, he, listen, he's 21 years old, and he's doing things that dudes don't do until like their sixth year in the league. Yeah. So I'll be pretty bad too. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's scary to think that Luka Doncic is younger than I am. I don't like thinking about that. Right? He's only a whole year older than me, just legal enough to drink. That's that's insane, man. He was breaking ankles, you know, at <laughs> 19. 19. 19 years old, he was out there just going nuts. Insane. He's only going to get better. Only going to oh, get better. That's, that's the scary thing, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. But let's get into a couple of the teams that are still in the playoffs right now. Uh, I missed the Miami Milwaukee game last night because I was busy uh, getting my heart broken by the Boston Bruins. <laughs> <laughs> but Miami took Game One over Milwaukee, one fifty one oh four. Guys, fill me in. What what happened? How can the Bucks recover from a Game One loss? First and foremost, they gotta they gotta bottle up Jimmy Butler. That guy can yeah. shoot. That guy can that guy can play. And right now, the Heat are kind of playing with that same chip on their shoulder that the Mavs are playing with. Kind of like yeah. oh. No one can or we have nothing to lose. No one is no one thinks we can win. Everyone's counting us out. And they're just playing loose and free. You know, Duncan yeah. Robinson is one of the great shooters right now. Uh Tyler Hero is a great young player. Yep. Uh, Sam Adebayo, who, you know, he didn't win the most improved player, but he was definitely in the discussion. Like yep. they have a great young core. And Jimmy Butler is leading the way. I mean, forty points last night and he hit some clutch buckets down the stretch. Yeah where it was like, I mean, great defense, just better offense, and there was nothing nothing they could really do. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I fully expect Giannis and the Bucks to bounce back from this. You know, I think I still think the Bucks are going to win in six, but the Heat's going to put up a, a heck of a fight. I, I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I love Giannis, and he's a deserving, you know, MVP candidate <clears throat> and deep uh, defensive player of the year award winner. But last night kind of exposed yet another kind of weakness in his game. You know, last year against Toronto, you could see, like, they couldn't really run things through Giannis. And last night was, you know, the same thing. You know, Milwaukee needed buckets down the stretch. And there was one guy on the floor that got their team buckets and another guy that didn't. And that guy was Jimmy Butler who did. And Giannis couldn't make stuff happen off the dribble. So Giannis kind of needs a a dominant point guard to, you know, get shots and – be more effective. Um, yeah. But outside of that, I think Giannis needs to add that little wrinkle into his game. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like the series might go to six, maybe seven, you know, I mean, the Heat are a really like good team. I don't think like nobody thought like coming into the year that they would have been like this good. Um, Chris, we talked about like Paul George, not like playing pretty well for like stretch of games, but Chris yeah. Middleton hasn't really been, all right since like the bubble started he needs to like step up big time Giannis is Giannis I don't really I know he's gonna like bounce back but I don't know the Heat the Heat are really like good team I don't I don't think that we should kind of like sleep on them and I wouldn't be surprised if they beat them but I think like the Bucks are kind of I think the Bucks are gonna be all right they fill me in on that guys I did not miss the uh, Houston Rockets and OKC Thunder game last night I was able to catch the end of that Mm -hmm. so should the Rockets be worried now heading into Game 7 against OKC? Ty, I'll start with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Chris Paul, I'm, I'm really happy for him, like, this year. You know, everyone was kind of, like, calling him out. And he rose up to the occasion, like, this whole year. You know, no one thought OKC would be, like, a great team, too. 
but he's a true leader and you know he makes them better and he has really like great leadership and he's he's up for the challenge you know and I think that James Harden and Russell Westbrook need to take this seriously because now it's tied up it's 3-3 who's you know who's really gonna you know who's really gonna take it I don't know I would kind of, I would be worried if I was them yeah, I've been saying for a long time, you know, they should absolutely be worried in Game 7. And I've said this multiple times before, and I'll say it again. The Rockets need to end this series early. They couldn't yeah. afford to let this series go six games, let alone seven. And they blew an opportunity to end it last night. And most thanks in part to Russell Westbrook. First yeah. of all, what's he doing taking a jump shot late in the game with the score <laughs> tied? That's not, that's not his spot. That's not, that's not his place. Know your role, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> of course he no of course he missed it and he didn't just miss it it was an air ball. Luckily James Harden saved the ball from going out of bounds with an incredible play to give them another chance but the Rockets couldn't capitalize. They then had the ball back with less than a minute left down by two and what does Russell Westbrook do? He chucks it into what would have been the first row if there was any fans there. Yes. I is like it just feels to me the Rockets are trying to lose this series. So I always I keep saying this. I said that the Houston Rockets had the most pressure to to win it all this year, and that's because Russell Westbrook and James Harden, those two guys, what do they do? We talk about it all the time. They're great in the regular season, but when it comes to playoff time, they fizzle out because they just run out of energy. They had five months off. It's playoff time. Russell Westbrook, you just came back from that quad injury. Okay? Mm -hmm. He did look a little rusty in game six, or uh, game five, excuse me. And then game six, we we saw you know he had seven turnovers, right? And that yeah. costly one at the end of the at the end of the game. James Harden's got to be taking that shot at the end of the game. I'm sorry, James yeah. Harden should be holding the ball at the end of the game. James Harden is the guy who's shooting that last second shot. I mean, I I just you know Westbrook is is a guy who can get you two points, but that's only if he's really going downhill. If you want like a quick ISO like you know, score to just shoot it over someone, give it to Harden. And, you know, to kind of echo Andrew's point, they wanted this to be a short series because the longer this, these playoffs go, the more tired James and Russell are going to get because they just, they give it all to their credit, 110% all the time. And they're just going to get more and more tired. If, you know, and right now the thunder, no one thought the thunder would take them to seven games. And Chris Paul has been playing completely bonkers. I mean, he's just been going off, you know, making plays, shooting over taller defenders, three-pointers, like just everything you can think of. Chris Paul is doing it. He's a leader. I'm so impressed with the the OKC Thunder, but, man, the Rockets are in trouble right now. Yeah. I'll I'll keep my answer short and sweet. Yes, they should be worried, and momentum's a powerful thing for especially a young team like the the Thunder are. But – if you have James Harden and Russell Westbrook on your team and, and you're saying the two words, game seven, you should absolutely be worried. You should be petrified if you're Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's fair enough. Fair enough. So another game seven coming up tonight. Denver Nuggets, Utah Jazz. Who are you picking, guys? Jason, start with you. Yeah, first of all, I was way off off on my prediction. I was expecting Denver to sweep this series, um, <laughs> but I didn't know uh, Donovan Mitchell had a little Ty Hawkins in, in his game. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jamal Murray does too. He's you know going through the legs. I don't know how well uh, Coach Mark would like that, but um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Denver's got the firepower. I think I think Denver's going to come out of here and 
they're just going to show their depth. I think Jabal Murray's been playing out of his mind. Um, Jokic is the playmaker. We all know that. But they're getting Gary Harris back. They had him last game. He played pretty well. Um, Jeremy Grant as well. But I think that team up and down is, is a lot deeper than Utah. And they can get a, like a lot more layer shots in you know, a variety of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Jason. I think you know Denver is the deeper team. They're the, the longer team, the bigger team. Uh, but, I mean, man, what, what can I say about Jamal Murray? This guy has been sensational this whole series. And, you know, the first game I was, you know, giving Donovan Mitchell all his praises for that 57-point game, which he deserved. And, you know, both him and Murray have just been going at it all series. And it's been, honestly, as a fan, I've, this has been my favorite series to watch just because yeah. it's, it's been a shootout every game. And, like, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, those, those two guys are going to be – you know, looking in the future, kind of, you know, the 10-year window that Ty was talking about, those guys are going to be the best scorers in the league in the next few years, yeah. I think. I mean, just the way they've been playing and when the moment's at its biggest, man, those guys have just been playing out of their minds. But, yeah, if I really had to pick, I, I think I'm going with Denver in this game seven. Yeah, uh, Denver Denver's definitely taking it. Jamal Murray's been playing out of his mind. Like, this is who we thought that – like, when he got his contract extension, people were kind of like, does he really kind of deserve, like, big money like that? But by the way he's been playing in his bubble, he's, he's put the, the Nuggets on his back. And they, they were down 3-1. Now it's tied up to a game seven. You can't really, like, ask for more than what he's doing, like, right now. You know, and that's not to kind of, like, put down Donovan Mitchell, but I just feel like Jamal Murray has a lot more to prove, and he just kind of wants it more. And Denver's really deep. They have a lot of like young players too. They got Joker too. So I'm taking Denver. I'm I'm picking Denver. Yep. It looks like we're on locks up here because I got Denver one tonight as well. Oh, unanimous. I I originally picked Denver in seven. I don't see any any reason to change my th- uh my thinking now. I think Utah's frustrated by not being able to put Denver away in Game Six. For sure. Uh, and, and I don't know if any everyone was sort of focused on Jamal Murray's comments, you know, following Game Six, but. I'm not sure if everyone knows, but Donovan Mitchell throwing chairs on his way back to the locker room. Oh yeah, not sure everyone else knows that. Yep. Uh, so I, I completely expect that frustration from Utah to carry over into Game Seven. And as good as Donovan Mitchell has been, Denver is just the deeper team. Plus Jamal Murray, you know, red hot right now, and expecting him to have another big game tonight. I, I got. I think so. We all got Denver in seven. Denver in seven. Yep. It's going to be close, though. It's going to be close. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Is there is there anything that Utah sort of has to kind of? hold on to like anything they can sort of like if it comes down to it tonight this is what will save them this will what is this is what will win the game for utah if it comes down to it tonight any thoughts donovan mm-hmm. mitchell yeah yeah that's it. donovan <laughs> mitchell he's gonna have to play out of his mind he's gonna he's gonna have to put him on his back and just be like listen i got y'all and you can't really ask for more than what he's doing right now but it needs to be a little bit more you know yeah, I agree. He's gonna. He's. They're gonna need everything from Donovan Mitchell, and you know those other role players. I mean, let's see it. Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert. Like, let's see it. I, I, I want this game to be a a competitive one. I mean, we already saw a game this series go into overtime. Why not a game seven? I mean, no. anything can happen in a game seven. So, what are we expecting from uh, Celtics Raptors in game two tonight? Ooh. Domination. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Domination. I like it. Oh, oh my god, Celtics! I the Celtics are making it to the to the conference finals. <laughs> they, the Celtics yeah. are making it to the conference finals. <laughs> I do not see it. I love the Raptors. They've been playing well all year. 
But at the end of the day, like, they don't have a star yet. And that's not to take away from Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. You know, they're a great team. But the Celtics are the Celtics. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, might I add. Like, you can't ask for more, you know. they can't. You can't ask for more than, like, what they've been doing, like, throughout the whole bubble. So, How long is the series going? I'd say six. I'd say six. Hey. Okay. Six. Yeah, I can live with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, this Celtics team right now, First of all, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, those guys are ready to win right now. We saw it with we saw it with Jason Tatum a few years ago when they took the Cavs to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals and he dunked on LeBron and I screamed as loud as I could because I was just like a rookie just dunked on the king. I'm sure Jason didn't like that very much, but dunked on the greatest player <laughs> of all time. Yeah, the, yeah, Lake, the Lakers are Jason's favorite that. team. No, <laughs> we won't we won't get into that, but but man, like Tatum and Brown are they're the best to me they're going to be the best duo in the in the league one day and they're if as long as Danny Ainge keeps those two guys together they'll be fine starting five when healthy I think they're competing for the best starting five in the league the only non-all-star in that starting five is Daniel Tice so mm-hmm. it's kind of you know but you know Hayward's still out you know for seeing the birth of his child but um I still expect the Celtics to win tonight but I do think it's going to go five or six. I expect the Raptors to put up a good fight. They're very well coached. Kyle Lowry can play. So can Siakam. They're not going to go down without a fight. But I still think the Celtics in – I can't decide. Up Five or six. Five or six. Yeah. I think, I think I'm on the same wavelength as you. I think the Celtics are going to win tonight. But I expect it to be a lot closer than it was in game one. I didn't love Toronto's um, shot selection early in the game. And I thought that really set them back a lot further than they'd want to be. Uh, Fred Van Fleet went three for 16, two of 11 on threes. That's not going to yeah. happen again. Siakam got in foul trouble. He was sidelined for a lot of it. That's not going to happen again. So, and it was weird that like in game four against the, the Nets, uh, the Raptors bench scored a hundred points. And in game one against the Celtics, their entire team didn't even score a hundred points. I expect it to be somewhere in between where like they're going to play well, but I think the Celtics will come up on top. Yeah. My biggest concern for the Celtics in this series was how they were going to be able to defend against Toronto's size and length. That's just the one thing the Celtics couldn't really match. But instead of matching size with size, they're matching size with grit, which I thought was really clever of Brad Stevens. Marcus Smart and Daniel Tice parked themselves underneath the hoop in game one, and they forced the Raptors to fight to get every basket all game long. Yeah. Eventually, Toronto had to switch to a smaller lineup because – there was no way for them to get inside, but that that's just that's Boston's bread and butter, right there. So I yeah. expect more from the Celtics in more of that from the Celtics in this game tonight. Uh, but I also expect Toronto to have some sort of counter to that. Yeah. As for how far this series goes, I'm I think it's going seven. I, I originally picked Toronto in seven. I think right now I'll stick with that for mm. now. <laughs> But it, that could flip as soon as tonight. Like I, I, it, the Celtics are really making their case. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How about so the matchups for the Lakers and the Clippers? Uh, any thoughts on those coming up for them? Just any final thoughts on the NBA pl- playoffs before we wrap this up? Lakers need their shooters. I'm just going to say that they need KCP yeah. to light it up, and they need Kuzma to, to be consistent for the first time in his career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they need, <laughs> I'm sorry. See, every time I go to like, you know, make a point, I end up trashing someone. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Anthony Davis, he, he needs to play well in the second half of games. You know, he's one of the best players in the league um, in the first half of games. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty in the fourth quarter, Ty, you know all about that. You need to get buckets, and Anthony Davis needs yeah. to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of to go off of that point, Jason, the Clippers need Paul George. You know, Kawhi had a sensational series against uh, Dallas. You know, he averaged like 32 and 11, something like that, like something crazy like that. Paul George, I mean, he did say, you know, he said the bubble got the best of him and he was kind of wrestling with some with some demons, but they need him to to be consistent in this next series because the yeah. competition is only going to get more intense and yeah. they need guys to to step up. Yeah, uh, I agree. I feel like with the Clippers and the Lakers, like we know what Braun and Kawhi is going to do. What is AD and what is PG going to do? That's that's going to be like the deciding factor. Um, I just feel like that's just going to be like the, the deciding factor for like both of them. Your role players obviously have to like step up, but that's that's really going to be like their biggest issue. Like, are they going to like step up? Kawhi, Braun, great players in their own right. They showed up every time. A PG, is PG and AD going to? gonna get going or what so we'll we'll see with that yeah we will so ty thank you for joining us in this segment it's great to hear from you that's all for this episode of the final call here today on radio massasoit but ty was going to be joining us in a very special edition of final cut uh coming up in a little bit and that edition of final cut will be available exclusively on our podcast page that will not air on radio massasoit Okay. Well, if you want to listen to us on Radio Massasoit, make sure to check us out on our podcast page that's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Call MCC. So for Ben Memoritas, for Jason Snow, for Ty Hawkins, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the Final Call on Radio Massasoit. <laughs> Some kind of way out of here. Set up your back to the thief.